If you would this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13. We, uh, we've, we've, uh, if you don't know already, we actually have found ourselves in the Old Testament uh, all year long. So, you know, if I would have you know, told you that at the beginning of the year, you'd probably thought, oh man, these sermons are going to be be quite boring because I've read part of the Old Testament man, and it's just it's just boring I don't know what's going on there half the time you know it's just a lot of law it's a lot of this and that and, and you know some of that is is true um, there there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that I too have to sort of drudge through and and uh, you know parts of Leviticus for instance if you ever read Leviticus uh, parts of uh, numbers um, and other books but nonetheless it's in the Bible this is the Word of God. And so we, we read from it, and we not only read from it, but we also want to preach from it. And uh, as you know, we also have Old Testament readings every single Sunday. So this, today I want to actually move... You know, Genesis 12 is a very famous, you know, very popular place that most of us know. But 13 often gets overlooked. Let's pick up reading in verse 8 of chapter 13. Notice these words this morning. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of Yahweh, or the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted." Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy word. It is a word for us. And Lord, we pray that you would apply your word to us this morning, and that we then would respond, Lord, in faith. Faith that we trust You, and then we would do it. We would obey. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. The Bible talks over and over again in some of its historical books and elsewhere about 
different cities. Most of those cities you're probably not familiar with. If I were to ask, hey, point out Hebron, you know, or point out where Babylon was, or point out where, you know, Assyria, their capital was of Nineveh. Most of us wouldn't, you know, geographically probably know where those are. Or maybe you do if you've ever been to Iraq. And so if somebody tipped you off for that, uh, you could see it firsthand. Um, cities are important. Cities are important to us. And quite frankly, I enjoy going and visiting cities. Uh, we obviously were in New Orleans this past week, if you know. And uh, it's a city that we, we enjoy visiting. And uh, there's many more. I always love when I go, for instance, you know, even out of country to India to go to their different cities. They're all different. They're all unique. There's something, something neat about just a city. <clears throat> the Bible talks a lot about a city. But it doesn't always talk about cities in always a positive light. A lot of times, it's actually in a negative light. So today, I want to talk to you about two cities um, and, and really start off with this illustration that will sort of lead us through and sort of overarch the whole thing. And that is this. My brother and I, which he couldn't be with us today. Someone broke their arm. He had to do a surgery early this morning. So he's out. Um, <clears throat> but my brother and I, when we were young, used to play a game called SimCity. I don't know if you ever heard of that game, but it's, it's you know even now they have Sims or something like that. I don't play anymore, but I used to play a lot, and we were introduced to it at a very young age when it first came out. I mean, I you know we had the original edition on the computer, SimCity. Well, then we moved up to SimCity, whatever, two thousand, three thousand, whatever it was, and and this game was amazing. I mean, it you got to build your own city. I mean, here you were, you could do industrial locations and commercial land and residential, and those things would grow. And if you put residence by industry, it popped up poor houses. If you put commercial and parks by, uh, by the residential, you had big houses. I mean, there was a whole science to grow in a city. And we would spend hours doing this. The goal was to get to a million. I never got to a million. Justin's city was actually larger than mine. I'll give him credit, even though he's not here. And, uh, and so my, my city's name was Delamo. I created it. I thought it was awesome. thought it was an awesome name. Looking back, not so much. But, you know, it, it, was, it was a game we played, Sim City. And, and so as I began to uh, prepare for this sermon weeks ago, actually, and it was on my heart, and I, and, uh, I, I um, thought about playing that game. And I thought about in our own life, we also have to do certain things if we're going to grow the right kind of city. If we're going to actually be a part of, be citizens of the right kind of city. So the first thing to make a good city is you've got to have buildings. You've got to have structure. And of course the game was built upon that. And even in our own city here in, in Huntsville and in Madison, wherever you live... Uh, is you're going to have structures. Structures, buildings, we live in buildings, we work in buildings, we play in buildings, and buildings are important in the Bible. If you go back all the way to Genesis again, God says to them, look, I am designating some land, and you've got to build these buildings, these cities. Even back in Genesis, remember, before you even get to 12, at the end of, what is it, 11... You actually have the Tower of Babel, which is the beginning of a city. So Babel will actually become Babylon. Uh, Not only that, you have the tabernacle that is created once you move into Exodus. And from Exodus, God tells them, you know, and this is sort of sometimes the, the more difficult part for us to read, all the measurements of this tabernacle and what to do, how to pack it up. 
and how to move it because the tabernacle was movable. Then you get, as you move deeper in, David who ultimately says, I'm going to build God a house. And God comes back with the answer and says, no, David, actually, I'm going to build you a house. So here's David. He was living in this huge you know, palace made of stones and marble and who knows else what. And he says, you know what, God, you're still in a tent. I want to build a house for you. And this term house is actually used 15 times in 2 Samuel 7 where God makes a covenant with David. Seven, uh, 15 times in this one chapter, and it actually has different meanings. It can mean uh, like a royal palace. It can mean temple. It means royal dynasty. When you talk about me and my house will serve the Lord, that same kind of term is used. Also, it's talking about just simply a family. So four different ways, 15 different times. Sometimes it's David saying it. Sometimes it's God saying it. Ultimately, God is concerned with a house. Even as we move deeper in, not only the temple, but in the New Testament, the temple becomes right here, the body. In other words, God does not actually dwell just in things made of human hands. In Acts, it says, the God who made the whole world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, made by man. 2 Corinthians says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then Jesus Himself says this to us in John 14 too, In my Father's house are many rooms. He's got a house. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's building a house. He's building a temple. He's concerned about these things in the Bible. And so, ultimately, His greatest dwelling place is in you. That's where God wants to dwell. He's not in this building or in Gooch Place where we used to meet or in the Nazarene Church where we used to meet. He is wants to be in us. And that means wherever we gather, God is in our midst. So it's no longer just we have to make a trek to Jerusalem, but instead, He's right here in our midst. Now, not only buildings, not only the structure of our life, which, by the way, God likes engineers, and He likes architects, and He likes structure, um, because He's the one who designed all those things. And so, we have a structure of our life. I mean, just think about yourself. What are you building in your own life? What is it, as you look back, have you built already? What is your foundation? You know, we even had a scripture reading today from the psalm talking about the foundation. And then Job says, hey, were you there when I laid the foundations here? In a real way, we all are building something in our life. We've already built things in our life. So looking back, is it decaying? Was it built on a sure foundation? Are you building it on the sand or on the rock, the cornerstone himself, Jesus Christ? The second thing, not only buildings, but bodies. So in order to have a city, you've got to have not just buildings, but you've got to have bodies, you've got to have people. And of course, the Bible, unlike any other ancient book, um, this is the reason it's not mythological, is because it's about humans. It's fascinating how much of the Bible is actually about humans. 
I mean, we would think it would only be about God, right? Like the Quran. The Quran is just, it doesn't feature a bunch of historical people. People are not, we need to know about God. But the Bible is very different than that. It's very different than any other book. God actually likes people. And I don't even always like people. You don't even always like people. You don't even always like yourself sometimes. I have a hard enough time getting along with myself, much less Jessica getting along with me. It's tough, and we know that marriage really brings out the toughness of relationship. That's the most intimate of relationships. And yet God says, I want to marry you. He doesn't just want like a friendship. I mean, there have been people in the Bible who have called the friend of God. That's an amazing title. But to be called His bride? That's deeper still. He wants to marry us. Be in that sort of intimacy with us. That's an amazing thought. He likes us. He loves us. And we need all sorts of people. In the Bible... God is constantly calling for all nations, all peoples. Male, female, slave, free, blue collar, white collar, poor, rich. Jesus does not discriminate in His earthly life. The rich don't impress Him, nor do the poor. Nor do the middle class, even though they didn't really have much of a middle class. Now it seems like we're more middle class, but really our middle class is... Really rich. I mean, you might as well just say our middle class is rich compared to the rest of the world and compared to ancient worlds. So, God is calling all people. And this is what I love about church. You've got young, you've got old. You've got rich, you've got poor. You've got sinners, you've got saints. You say, hang on, I thought the church was just made of saints. Well, I mean, have you ever been to church? You know? There's some bad people in church. There's some people that are not looking out for your good. Trust me. I grew up a preacher's kid. I know that even within the church, there are weeds among the wheat. And Jesus says, don't pull them up. Don't try to say, okay, you know, you're kind of a weed in our church. You're out. You're not allowed here. That's not our job. Jesus says, you know what? Leave them here. At the end, I'll pluck them up. But until now you're still maturing too. Sometimes we think we're a wheat when we're actually a weed. I was a weed for many years in the church, drawing off, sneaking in here, just trying to get our fix or whatever the way that we wrongly view church, worship. But instead, we must move to where we're producing fruit. It's it's the reason Harvest Point was started. There's a reason for even the name Harvest Point. Is we're not as Christians called just to receive always. Just to be planted right there among good fruit. But instead, to actually bear fruit ourselves. At this church, we pray for, long for you to move not just to be a consumer, but instead a giver yourself. God wants you to bring an offering to others and to Himself when we come here on Sundays. Many of you do that. You can look around every single Sunday and this whole thing does not happen without the help of many people, without the prayers of many people. 
And we all sacrifice to be here. We all sacrifice so that we can meet God here and help other people meet God. It's not just about us. And yet, just as you have found in your own life, just as Jesus proclaims in the New Testament, it's actually better to give than it is to receive. Have you ever noticed, like, even with your hobbies, and we talked about hobbies a couple weeks back when we talked about do your job. You ever notice how hobbies are so much better when you have somebody to share them with? Like it's one thing for you to think, man, I'm the, I'm the best at whatever. I'm the best remote control guy, you know, car guy or whatever. There's people that are into that. Or playing or video game player. I'm the best soccer player. But playing by yourself is one thing and thinking that you're king. But what if you were able to share that and teach someone? You ever had that kind of experience where you had something, maybe you got a new Firearm. That's one thing that people like to do here. Buy a new gun, and then guess what? First thing you want to do, hey man, check out my new gun. You know, you don't want to just keep it for yourself. You want to show people, look at what I've got. And you want to teach them, hey, I can actually show you how to shoot. And then you fall in love. The best thing is to help other people fall in love with the things that you love. That's going to be a connection right away. I mean, that's, that's one of the connections that, that uh, it just, you know, when I'm, when I'm around Caleb, it's like our spirit is one because we are aiming for the same thing, to glorify God in our gifts. And, and at this youth camp in particular that we've done, and when I'm around people like that, there's just this camaraderie, this familial feeling, and it's a beautiful thing. That's what God wants us to do. Every time we walk into this building, is to take our body and actually give it instead of just wanting to receive. And when we do that, when we do that, I promise, it's, Jesus' promise will come true for you. It will be better to give than to receive. You're going to be happier when you give it than to hold on to it. So, not only buildings, not only bodies, but budgets. Now, I'm not just talking about finances. But with a budget, you're really trying to balance things. I mean, that's really the purpose of a budget. Is to, You have this money, this investment, you are now trying to balance that out to where this goes here, not too much goes there, and you really get an equilibrium on how those are dispersed, how that, those goods are dispersed. In, a, in building a city, in SimCity, you've got to do the same thing. If you like houses and you like one of these mansion houses, because they used to have these, like, these really beautiful mansions with nice lawns and stuff, and that's what you always wanted because those people brought in the most reven- revenue, right? We say, okay, I want those. So you play in the game and you plot out like 500 acres for residential by itself. It's not going to grow. People don't have anywhere to work. If people have a big house, they've got to have a big job that pays big money. So you have to have industry. But then you also, if you're going to help your economy, you've got to have commercial stuff. You've got to have Target. You've got to have Walmart. You've got to have Belk and whatever else you shop at and eat at so people can make money. So you also have to have commercial. There has to be a balance if you're going to grow a great city in SimCity. Now, turn that around into your own life. Doesn't there have to be that same balance? You say, man, I really enjoy my hobby, so I'm going to give 500 acres to that. Well, I mean, you know. As the other things are going to suffer. What about the home life? What about your residential life? You have your industry too, don't you? You work. You're going to go to work. You have jobs that you do. That's your... In- and every one of us across this room have different jobs. And I love that. I love that you do different... Even people that are engineers do different things. They work on different stuff. 
we all have sort of our own little worlds. If you really want to think of it like this, we sort of have our own cities that we've built. I mean, each person in this room has this whole history of being founded, history of growth, history of maybe decay, or there's a fire here that really changed us. There was a hurricane here that came into our life that really destroyed things. We had to rebuild. Each of us are almost like our own city. You ever notice how cities have these really, like one of the things I enjoy about a city is like just the little small details. It's like you're in New Orleans or you're even go to Athens, for instance. We went to Athens recently with a, with a couple that lives across the street from us. And just the detail of some of those older buildings, it's just a beautiful thing to me. I'm just thinking, how many people have touched that wall? How long has that wall been there? What is that wall really? And in your own life, how many walls have you built? How much work have you done to get your body, to get your life, to get your family to where it is today? It's really a powerful thought. You've done a lot already. But God has more still. Because see, here's the deal. We're not just building our own city. We're not just building our own kingdom. If our kingdom does not join His kingdom, then our kingdom will fall. If it's not the kingdom of God, it will never last. You see, I'm going to use an old school term, at least an old school church term, but we cannot as Christians be worldly. People used to say that back in the day. They say, don't be worldly, you know? And, and, and honestly, you can't be a worldly Christian. That's oxymoronic. In other words, that'd be like saying a heavenly devil, a square circle. That's impossible. You see, here's the deal is God actually calls us out of the world. You remember how what it says in the Old Testament? It's actually King James. I don't know if the ESV says it or not. It says, you are called to be a peculiar people. That's a word, you know, you don't normally want to describe yourself as peculiar at work, right? Oh, that guy's peculiar. That's not, I mean, that's kind of like, oh, if you got a performance review and it's like, peculiar. That's not necessarily a good thing, you know what I mean? God says, you know what? In this world, you ought to be peculiar. A peculiar people, aliens walking through, strangers in a foreign... You should not feel all cozy and snugly in this world. There should be things in this world that upset you. There should be things in this world that don't sit with you well. That's okay. That's letting you know that we're not made for this world. We're actually made for another world, another city. You know, I've been to some cities where I'm like, I don't really fit in here. I, I, this is not really where I fit. Bourbon Street, that's one place I don't really fit in. We're like, boys, look right, look right, you know. <laughs> Everybody look to the right, keep looking, you know. Um, we took a carriage ride. <laughs> uh, there's some places we should feel that we're not at home. Because we're not. We have a dual citizenship. This is not our home. This is not our permanent residence. And yet, notice this, He calls us out of the world, but also we live in the world. It's this interesting interplay. We're called to be out of the world. That's ultimately where we're headed. To a new heaven 
new earth, a heavenly city, not just a city of man, but a heavenly Jerusalem. But in the meantime, we live here, don't we? In a very real way. You got to go cut your grass. Maybe one more time. You got to go to work tomorrow. You got to wake up. Or you've got to deal with people that are hard to deal with. That's the reality we live. We don't always feel like we're living in this heavenly city because you know what? The kingdom of God has not fully come. It's still happening now. We're still hastening the day. We are bringing the kingdom of God about in the church. But it's not here yet. But we're called out of the world, but also to be in the world. You know, the mystics, they ran off away from people. They said, you know what? To be holy, you got to go live in a hole. you got to separate yourself, wall it up, don't look at anything bad, don't be around sinners, don't even, you know, allow anything to enter those walls. Let's just separate. That's not how you be holy. That's not holiness. Holiness is living in this world and yet still remaining true to that other world, to that other city, to that other king, to our other president. You see, we're not of the world, but we're sent into the world. That's the way this interplay works. And so we live really between heaven and earth, and we've talked about this. We've talked about how even our body is made of something heavenly and very, very earthly. And God likes the earthly. He's actually going to renew it, not get rid of it. He's not going to destroy your body. He's going to resurrect it. He's not going to destroy Jerusalem. He's actually going to resurrect it. So you see, it comes down to this. There's really two cities that are constantly talked about in the Bible. As you notice in our Scripture, Lot is given a choice. And I love that text because ultimately Abraham says, look, I'm not trying to grab my own. If you want to go live in the good water, you know, green... I mean, here they are standing there. He's like, alright, over there, it's green. Over here, you got desert. Now, which one are you going to choose? And Lot chooses the green. He chooses the fertile land. And yet we're told, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We're also told in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, these words about Sodom. And notice this. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. By the way, Ezekiel is talking to Israel. (laughs) The people of God. He said, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Listen to this. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them. You know what he's about to do to Israel in Ezekiel? Remove them. Actually, he's already removed Israel. He's about to do it to Judah, the southern kingdom. When it comes to judgment, God is no respecter of persons. In church, out of church, you're going to be judged by God on what you're building. 
And cities may be a mixture of both good and bad, but there's one city that's only good. There's one kingdom that's only light. And in it, there's no darkness at all. Did you hear this? Pride, excess of food. Don't we have an excess of food? Don't we have enough pride to share around? Don't we have money and resources? And the question would then become, do we actually take care of the poor and needy? At Harvestment, we have ways of doing that. We have resources that are being given. We have avenues to actually do that. We've got events coming up in November. If you would like to be involved with actually reaching our city right here. Because you know what? You're called to this city. You're living here now. I used to be called to Jackson, Mississippi. That was my city. Now it's here. This is our city. What are we going to do to bring the city of God here? You see, the two cities is Babylon and Jerusalem in the Bible. Over and over again, Babylon is evil. Babylon is, you know, the bad one. The Babylon, and by the way, that comes from, again, the Tower of Babel, where mankind tried to be God. They disobeyed God and tried to reach God through their human innovation. And God said, nope, and confused them. He confused them, and that city, that Babylon city, the one that talked about in Revelation, you remember the whore of Babylon, and remember that language whore is actually very important. You're like, man, you shouldn't really say that. Hey, it's biblical. It's in the Bible. Here's why. Because the city of God is not a prostitute. Instead, the city of God is a bride. Beautiful. It's the church. That city of man is about the religion of self. Self It revolves around the self. The city of God is about giving. It's about glorifying God and loving others. The human city is about arrogance and pride. Whereas the city of God is about humility. Did you hear Jesus' words? You want to be the greatest? Be servant of all. City of man is a place of exile. City of God is where we can call home. City of man will be destroyed. The city of God will last forever. So, like Lot, you've got a decision to make. God stands before us and says, Look, we've got the wilderness area. (laughs) It's going to be be quite a thing you're going to have to trust God on. Or, I've got this prosperous city waiting for you, where you really won't have to trust God because you have Walmart. I mean, how many of us honestly give to the point where we have to trust God? I'm talking to myself. How many people of us give our time, our money, our resources to the point where we actually have to trust God and not our own pocketbook, our own savings account, our own security? You see, sometimes we've built our own cities and have neglected the city of God. Notice this. Abraham, this is Hebrews speaking about Abraham. For he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Is that the kind of city that you're allowing him to build? Or are we just busy at work like the ants building their own mound that can just be stepped on and crushed and will not last? 
Today you can choose to be a part of a kingdom, a city that is not only beautiful, not only holds for us home and a family, but is designed for you. Designed by our Creator Himself. If you think creation is beautiful, this new city is going to rival that creation in its beauty. Because God is the architect. He's the designer. Let me read a prayer as we finish this. Well, I don't have it here. Um, looks like, actually. Oh, yes I do. A prayer against worldliness. This is by Thomas Akempis, written many, many years ago but so appropriate for us today. Notice these words. My God, sweetness beyond words, make bitter all the carnal comfort that draws me from love of the eternal and lures me to its evil self by the sight of some delightful good in the present. Let it not overcome me, my God. Let not flesh and blood conquer me. Let not the world and its brief glory deceive me, nor the devil trip me by his craftiness. Give me courage to resist, patience to endure, and constancy to persevere. Give me the soothing unction of your spirit rather than all the consolations of the world. And in place of carnal love, infuse into me the love of your name. Take the world and give me Jesus. That's our prayer this morning. Amen.